This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, March 24, 2014. I'm Caleb Brown. Tesla Motors makes premium electric vehicles. There's just one problem for protectionists in a few states. Tesla owns their own dealerships, a large shift away from the traditional model in the U.S., so some states have shut Tesla out completely. Peter Van Doren, editor of Regulation Magazine, comments. Auto dealerships and automakers have perhaps an odd relationship. The car makers don't own dealerships. Correct. Dealerships don't make cars. Correct. So why does that relationship exist the way it does? Well, normally, and when a, when, if a student would ask that question in an economics class, we would say the answer to that question of when are what is the nature of relationships between producers and distributors, we would turn to Ronald Coase and his first incarnation, 1937. It's an article called The Theory of the Firm. And it tries to explain why some things are done through market relationships and why other things are done through command and control within an ownership structure, i.e. vertical integration. Its answer is, and everyone who knows Coase knows that his answer is always transaction costs. That is, if the costs of doing business through arm's length relationships and contracts is transaction cost filled, then the firm buys up that relationship and conducts it through command and control because that saves money. So the price of, of writing a really long, detailed contract with contingencies and delivery times and all that stuff, that can be quite it's high. It's expensive. And it takes expensive talent to write the contracts. Not only that, anyone who studies law for a brief period of time realizes that you never can think up all the contingencies. So so the transaction cost theorem is really a way, another way of saying if the relationship between you and another entity is always going to have shocks, is always going to have episodes that are uh, un- that one cannot anticipate easily. If if the likelihood is there of that kind of thing happening, then you might as well own them and manage them because you can't write a contract easily to come up with. 97,000 different contingencies at a low cost. So the reason we're talking about this is that some states have basically punished the company Tesla and prohibited their model of not so much having dealerships as showrooms of vehicles that they deliver directly to consumers without a dealership, an independently owned dealerships being involved at all. Tesla is vertically integrated. It has chosen, it is someone at Tesla learned the Coase theorem and said, hmm, why don't we try a different business model? What they now realize, and they they probably did because they did research a little history, is that the the Coase theorem says there's simple, easy market answers to, the, to this question of, of the industrial organization of firms. The auto dealer, automaker relationship has been politically charged since the Great Depression. Dealers in the Depression felt that the automakers at the time forced them to take lots and lots of inventory and pay for it that they then could not sell. In other words, the wealth shock, the shock of the Depression, dealers and manufacturers fought contractually, if you will, over who would absorb that wealth loss. And the manufacturers wanted the dealers to absorb 
a lot of it, and the dealers wanted the manufacturers to absorb a lot of it. And ever since then, dealers have sought the help of the political system in dealing with the, the auto manufacturers. First, they sought help from Congress in the 30s and 40s and 50s, and that resulted in some legislation, but then federal courts, when they dealt with suits under federal law arising out of this legislation, very few of the results went the dealer's way. Most went the manufacturer's way. So starting in the 50s, dealers started to organize and, and try to get political action at the state level, and they've been very successful. So all, all states have laws that prohibit manufacturers from directly selling automobiles to the public. And thus, what Tesla's trying to do is, in effect, violating the dealer franchise law, in this case, in New Jersey. So um, <clears throat> it's very expensive to – for it would be very expensive for car manufacturers that produce on a very large scale, and Tesla is not quite at that scale. <laughs> no, it is not. <laughs> uh, to own dealerships and have that distribution network. Um, but even in the case of the traditional model where dealerships are not owned by auto manufacturers, there's not a clear fix for uh, the problems that they face. Well, I think what Tesla – see, so there are lots of other niche automobile manufacturers, Lamborghini, Ferrari, uh, Aston Martin, uh, Bugatti. And, and so how do they deal with the, the same issue? They, there's a dealer in Gaithersburg, Maryland, near where I live, that's a Chevy, and it sells Lamborghinis. It kind of seems like an odd fit. But in effect, Lamborghini has not rocked the boat. They sell, we sell, you know, two or 300 cars a year in the U.S., only in major metropolitan areas where there's enough income to purchase them. So we'll make arrangements with the, an existing dealer and mooch off of that. Tesla has a similarly narrow market, but they're choosing to try to rock the boat. And this has got existing dealers very scared because if Tesla can do it successfully, then Lamborghini might do it and Aston Martin might do it. And as when we used to have the big three, it wasn't a, as much of an issue. But now we have a global auto market. We have 20 to 30 auto manufacturers in the world. And the ones with the sales at the low end might actually try to do what Tesla did as well. And my guess is um, they – their thinking is they're, they're very worried about that, letting the first successful vertical integrated operation occur, and they want to make sure that this stops. During the Great Recession, automakers took a big hit, auto dealers took a big hit, and the federal solution, this cash for clunkers program, was to pay uh, effectively dealers and manufacturers. To trash part of the capital stock to then, quote, create a necessity of buying some cars. And the papers done by economists on this say um, on a, you know, it was rationalized as saving energy because older cars are less fuel efficient than newer cars. But <laughs> when the papers that I've read where economists tried to estimate how much this cost per gallon saved were something on the order of two and three hundred dollars <laughs> per gallon saved. So it doesn't pass the cost benefit test, but it did get rid of old cars and then perhaps generated some demand for new cars, which helped dealers and manufacturers. If you watch the responses from dealers about this Tesla deal, 
there's almost no pretense offered whatsoever about what the interests are at stake, which is the we, usual. You, you this creates jobs, or this. I mean, they, no, the it's, it's just that, it's just we can't let them do that because we're going to get hurt. Right. Like you can't let somebody with low overhead go into a new business. That was actually a statement from uh, some of the people defending uh, the laws. Uh, that would prohibit Tesla from doing this. But remember, some part of the American voting public is sympathetic to local businesses. Go back to the 1920s, right? The the ANP, right? The Atlantic and Pacific Tea Company, the first supermarket in the United States, the largest supermarket chain in the world at the at, time. At the time, was extremely threatening to what we used to call general stores where people went in and there were clerks behind desks and people pointed and grabbed stuff. Whereas A&P, you could drive a cart around and pick up stuff on your own. And wow, I mean, this, this, I mean, to anyone alive now, if we took you back to 1920 and showed you how people shopped, you'd be incredulous and you'd realize that A&P was the future. But that was extremely threatening to the existing structure of stores and they, passed laws at the federal and state level banning chains, banning this, banning that. And so, and the public was very much in favor of that at the time, even though their own consumer interests were better served by A&P. Go forward. The current locavore movement, right, within food and, and um, mainly on the left, uh, there's a romanticism for small, non-national businesses. And car dealers support little league teams. They give to local charities. They're very, I mean, they may make excess profits, but they do redistribute some of them to local communities in ways that are very visible, whereas a vertically integrated component of a large multinational company may or may not give, they may give to charity, but they don't give to the local little league. And, and that actually, believe it or not, may matter quite a bit with more voters than you would think. Peter Van Doren is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute and editor of Regulation Magazine. You can read more of his work at Cato.org.